I'll admit it, I find it hard to like David. Especially the David that we read about in today's passages. When I'm teaching with youth, I often use the Brick Testament or the Bible portrayed in Legos. This section is called David Commits Adultery and Murder. Such light topics for such a beautiful Sunday morning. This picture with Bathsheba is not the most explicit. When I use these pictures for some of these harder stories in the Bible, I often show the warning that appears on the website. Content notice. The Bible contains material some may consider morally objectable and or inappropriate for children. These labels identify stories containing nudity, sexual content, violence, and cursing. Look at that coding. Okay, let's go back to the stories about David. He gets all the warnings. And I like to wrestle with this. Should our Bibles have warnings on them? This isn't clean. This is problematic. The span of today's texts cover war, rape, murder, cover-ups, referring to women as sheep and possessions. The list goes on and on. So I will say at the outset, this is a lot. Please take care of yourself. For some of you, I will say too much this morning. And for some of you, I will not say nearly enough. This is part of the challenge of studying this book together. So, take a deep breath. Let's dive into today's texts. In the springtime, when the kings go out to battle, David sends his officers and armies and all of Israel. And David stays in Jerusalem. The text seems to almost mock or at least present some commentary because not only does he not fight with his people, which is what kings are supposed to do, David is shown reclining on a couch. He rises leisurely and saunters across the roof in the cool of the evening breeze. This is not a picture of a king leading his people, but basking in his power and privilege. Before we go on, let's review some of David's story thus far. In the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel, we have been following the stories of prophets and kings and God working through them to lead the people. David was not the first pick of his father's sons. He was the little guy chosen after all of his brothers were paraded in front of Samuel. But David goes on to be wise and strong and defeats Goliath. 
he gains favor and grows in power. Then there is a power struggle with Saul, which leaves David fleeing for the hills and safety at points. When Saul dies and David finally becomes king, he is the second king of Israel and he consolidates the power of both Judah and Israel and brings the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. David's power keeps building. Yet as David walks across the roof and looks down at Bathsheba bathing, it is the beginning of a shift for him. And I have to ask, did his power get too great? David sends someone to inquire about this beautiful woman that he has seen. And even though he is told that she is married, he sends for her and he lays with her. Many of you may remember my retelling of those few verses a few weeks ago when I preached about Ruth and Boaz on the threshing floor. How you tell these stories matters. Joanne Hackett writes in the Women's Bible Commentary, the only hint that Bathsheba might have cooperated willingly in her predicament is her initial act of bathing in a place where she could be observed by a king walking on his roof. David has all the power in this situation and he uses it to avoid standing with his armies. Instead, he takes and rapes a woman just because he can. One, pod one podcast I listened to this week Encourage the listeners to read the Bible and then to look for contemporary stories. And it breaks my heart that there are too many stories like this that I know and that we see today. I'm tired, and maybe some of you are too. Tired of men with power following the same script and using that power to take advantage of others, often sexually. Tired of systems that not only don't stop them, but actually set them up without accountability and without boundaries around the power that they hold. This week, I saw a trailer for a movie that is trying to tell the victim side of the story. The fear, hurt, and resistance to stand up against the powerful man that hurt them that I saw even in that 30 second clip made me cry. Yes, David was a man of God chosen to lead his people at a particular time and a particular way. But when the checks and the balances are taken away from someone's power and they think that others are only there to serve them, destructive things may happen. 
Hackett notes that David's affair with Bathsheba, the wife of one of his soldiers, is a watershed, marking the beginning of a downward spiral for David and his family. At this point, the narrative lectionary has us jump over 20 verses. We skip David's repeated attempts to cover up what he has done. The ways he tried to control the situation and get himself out of a tight spot. He doesn't seem to actually want Bathsheba as a wife. More, he just wants to cover up that he got her pregnant. The evidence that he slept with another man's wife. Bathsheba, like so many in women's bodies, had to carry the responsibility of what had been done to her. She could not hide or pretend that the life growing in her did not exist. Eventually, when Bathsheba's husband Uriah proves over and over again how good and faithful a man he is, staying at his post and his duty instead of returning home to his wife, a stark contrast to David sitting in Jerusalem while his armies go to war. David has Uriah sent to the front lines of battle, and then he pulls his troops back. Predictably, Uriah is killed. David lets Bathsheba grieve for an appropriate amount of time, and then he sends for her and makes her his wife. And we finally get to the line I've been waiting for. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Well, I sure hope so. <laughs> the God that I read about in the Bible would be weeping and raging right along with me. Enter Nathan. And like many good prophets and teachers, Nathan shows up and tells a story. There was a rich man and a poor man. Their wealth is measured in this story by their amount of sheep. One has many flocks, and the other has one precious lamb. The rich man's friend comes to town, and instead of going to his own herds, he goes and takes the beloved lamb from his neighbor slaughters it, and then serves it to his guest. When I was eight years old, my family lived here in Virginia, out along the old Mount Clinton Pike. We had about an acre, and we uh, worked with a few local farmers to raise lambs. When a mother sheep had triplets or rejected one of her lambs, we would feed them by bottle and raise them for the farmers. Raising them by hand meant feeding them bottles every few hours, even through the middle of the night and in the wee hours of the morning. These lambs became our pets. They came when we called them and we carried them around or ran around with them in the field. One snowy morning, 
I woke and wandered into the living room, still yawning, to find my mom crying and visibly distraught. In the early morning, a local dog had gotten into the field and chased our lambs. The dog killed one lamb and maimed the other two. In the freshly fallen snow, you could see the trail, both of the chase and of the damage that had been done. The thing is, the dog was well fed. He wasn't hungry. He had just done it for fun. Literally running our lambs to death and biting at them in the midst of their fear. I think I can tap into that anger, pain, and senselessness that David might have felt as he heard Nathan tell this parable. It feels wrong. How could this happen? But then Nathan turns and I imagine him looking David in the eyes as he says, you are that man. Nathan goes on to list all that God has given David. And then he says, and if that had been too little, I would have added much more. Nathan asks the question that might be on many of our minds. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in God's sight? This king who had done so much for the people and been given so much from God, and yet he takes what is not his and throws away the life of a good man just because he can. Lest we get carried away pointing fingers at all the people that we see reflected in these stories that we could condemn. Instead of just shaking our heads in disgust, I invite you to see yourself in this story. Which character would you be in this text? We, when have we misused our power, sinking in our, into our privilege to the point that our actions hurt others? Or are we the abused, our voice not included in the narrative that is just a sterilized version of what has been done to us? How might Nathan turn this text back to our lives and with the sting that is often in the tale of a parable, what truth might he speak into our contemporary situation? Hold that raw space with me. And I'm gonna invite April to come and read for us part of Psalm 51. Hear these words as David might have heard them or spoken them. Holding the brokenness we see and that we have experienced, the wrong that we have done, 
and the wrong that has been done to us. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed Rejoice, hide your face from my, my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Maybe later today you want to go back to that psalm and reread it and read the verses that we did not include in today's reading. Because David turned and called out to God, he was not abandoned. Yes, there were consequences that David and his family had to live with. But even when we have done the worst thing, God still calls us beloved. This makes me squirm both in its injustice and in its grace and mercy. I cannot do anything that will make God love me more or less. Does God grieve at injustice and oppression? I sure hope so. But does God cast us away? No, never. We may feel like that, but God relentlessly returns, and as God did with David, saying, I love you, try again. But it doesn't stop there. Once we know of God's love and forgiveness, we are called to turn and make things right with others turning back and restoring. Can we make an honest confession before God and then turn back towards restoring our relationships with the community around us? I want us to end today with a simple yet powerful prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. How do we bring both our confession and our need for God's love into this space? God is steadfast, abounding in mercy. 
So I will invite you to read this aloud with me once, and then I will leave space for you to say it quietly for yourself. So please say these words with me. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Beloved, may God give you strength and wisdom to use your power for good in this world. Amen.